Welcome to Production Value Matters, the business event podcast, brought to you by Burn Production Services. Here, we explore the different ways business events can bring value to your organization, the latest technological advances in the event space, as well as providing you with actionable strategies to make a business event a success. Let's create an exceptional event experience. Welcome to another episode of Production Value Matters, the business event podcast. Today, I have the absolute privilege of welcoming Liz Lathan, a trailblazer in the domain of event marketing and community building. Liz is the co-founder and chief marketing officer for the Community Factory, where she has pioneered the community as a service model, fostering a new era of engagement and connection in the B2B event landscape. With a rich career spanning over two decades, Liz's transition from orchestrating traditional corporate events to creating vibrant community-centric experiences. She's also the Chief Community Officer at Ichi Community and Team CMO, extending her expertise in cultivating communities that drive authentic human-to-human connections. Her passion resonates through her innovation of innovative approach, notably the spontaneous think tank, and her influential roles at HOT and IBM. As an author, she's shared her wisdom in books such as The Age of the Conversation Cookbook and Eyebrows Up, providing a roadmap for meaningful engagement in a modern event sphere. Liz's journey embodies a blend of creativity, strategic acumen, and a relentless pursuit of crafting events that go beyond the norm, nurturing a sense of community and shared experiences. That was a very long introduction, so please welcome Liz. Great to see you. Well, it's so exciting to be here. That was fun. I like how you specifically say two decades of experience. It's not like saying she's old and has been doing this crap for 20 years. So that was really nice of you. Thank you. Yeah, that's fine. When people ask me, you know, how long I've been in this industry, I always make the joke that, well, I had hair at the beginning. (laughs) Hi, I'm a dinosaur. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So look, your journey from transitioning to creating traditional corporate events to pioneering CAS or community as a service model is quite remarkable. Could you share with us the genesis of this transition and the core principles that underpin that model at the Community Factory? Yeah, I mean, I think that it just comes from a history of being a seeker. You know, I'm, I was, I am an only child, and so I've never really felt like I fit in anywhere. And so when you don't fit in, you create environments for other people and hope that they will fit in, right? So it's like, if I can't get into the right group, I can at least watch other people get into it. And so I think that my whole career creating events was these beautiful programs with amazing AV and high value production and all of these boxes that were gorgeous for people to go in. And then it's up to the people once they get in there to figure it out for themselves. And it turns out I'm not alone in my inability to fit into things. Despite being an extrovert and despite loving being around people, I still am the most awkward when I'm in a large room with lots of people holding a glass of wine and really loud music and trying to break into a group and it's not just me. So over the course of 20 years of creating these events and watching everyone else have the same problems I have, we started to kind of figure out, actually, it's facilitated networking that people really need. So when you break it down, community building, you know, community is not a place, it's not a platform, it's not a thing. Community is the way people embrace you when you go somewhere. So that's what we work on now is helping people design experiences that create the feeling of community for participants. Because business is personal. And if you can help people create those connections, then it's going to go a lot further. 
And so how do you see this model reshaping the narrative around events and community and building a business landscape? So, I mean, I think that it's not changing or reshaping anything. I think that we just went so far to the right of content is king and everything is about content. And I spent 10 years at Dell and and years at IBM and other corporations. And we have so many internal stakeholders that we have to be beholden to from sponsors to executives to what we always called our parade of presidents who all want to get up and talk about the features and things that are happening. But the people aren't really there for that. They can get that online. They're there for the other people and to actually meet those people there on stage and to meet with the subject matter experts and other people who've had success. And so I think the the shift is to just bring it back to the olden days when you went to events to meet the people. So if we can help design programs that are going to allow you to do your sit and get content, but put in the moments where the people can actually talk about it, then I think we get the balance right again. So in that community model, as you said, like the old, I don't want to personify everything as the old way, but certainly there is a growing resistance to the content heavy conference and the speak at and the speak and present. And so are you seeing better attendance? Are you seeing better retention of an audience through these community building events rather than the traditional content is king model? Yeah. And I don't want to vilify content. I think that people are still going to events to get it. Like you want to be in the room when Apple announces their new thing. I was there when that happened, right? But I think that when you create the content and have your presenters bring the people together or have the ability to you know, do a workshop afterwards or help people solve a problem together, then that's when people are recognizing that they're feeling something right with the content. I went to an event Last year, I think a site Midwest put it on and they did this beautiful job of creating the keynote room into little living room spaces. You know, Port had the furniture all set up into these living rooms and their keynote speaker had great content to share and then asked the people in the little living rooms to talk about it and to solve a problem together. And so it was a really great way to do your sit and get, but engage people without the engagement being, now look on your phone and answer this poll question, because that just pulls people out of it. Everything should be much more incorporated into the, the human conversation piece. I think it's very easy to do. It's not very easy to sell up. And so that's the big challenge that we have to have. And the more research and results and answers and metrics we can get around people go to events to meet the people, and the more we can get executives to believe that and see the sales go up when the people can connect with each other, that's what we really need to work on, I think, this next year. Yeah, absolutely. So can you delve a little bit more into those pivotal moments or insights that led you towards advocating for communities as an extension of events? Honestly, my own personal boredom. I'm sick and tired of going to the same events with the same content, with the same topics. And I spent years and years going to industry events where somebody pays for these keynote speakers and they're great and they're motivational. And then you sit in six hours of a dark keynote room listening to someone try to motivate you. You don't feel very motivated. And then at the end of the day, you go into some sort of networking thing where the music's too loud and you have to try to, you know, read name badges and see if people are of value to you. But There's no content connection for those people. You have to start with the really surface level introductions. And so we just thought that was, it was all messed up. And that's when in 2017, we created the idea of a spontaneous think tank. It was built on the Unconference platform, which is helping people find the content and the solutions that they need. Rather than an agenda of, here's the stuff we want you to learn. It's an agenda of what challenges are you trying to solve? What challenges have you solved and could help someone else with? And then put those people together and let them do that. 
And we just saw such value in it. But beyond the solving problems and the people leaving with notebooks full of things that they could go action, they all, every single time they left saying, wow, it felt like a group therapy session. It felt like, you know, same problem, different logo. We're all in this together. And I feel like I have a new family that I can trust. And that's where this idea of you can create community in an event came from. Because then at that moment, when we started putting those inside of other people's events, those people would come to us and go, wow, our participants said they feel like family. How do they keep the community going in between now and our next events? And that's where community as a service was born. I mean, we, our event managers aren't community managers. Our product managers aren't community managers. We don't have anyone on our team to manage communities. And so we can kind of help just keep that going, keep the conversations alive until you go do that again. So that was the idea. That's really where it came from. And we've only seen positive responses from it. So it's not going anywhere anytime soon, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a growing groundswell in the events industry about transitioning events from being a one-off, one-place thing that happens into either the culmination or the launch of, of a community. And I think a lot of event professionals are perhaps struggling with how they, as you said, go to their stakeholders, go to their C-suite and say, there is a lot of value in this. Because I think we all, you know, I can speak for myself. I see the value in it on the surface. I go, oh yeah, this this just makes sense. You know, pitching that to a potential client or their stakeholders can be, I think we don't necessarily have the tools for that. So, you know, drawing on that, on your experience, can you share a specific instance where, you had to transition an event into a community-focused strategy and how, if at all, you were able to personify how that would amplify the value or the ROI for that brand. Yeah, I think that the biggest challenge is people don't know how to do it or they've tried it and it's quote-unquote failed before. Like we hear a lot, oh, we've tried those birds of a feather sessions at lunch and nobody talks about the topic. Or we tried to do an unconference, but it was too chaotic and the executives didn't like it because they didn't feel like there was structure to it. And so I think that's the biggest thing to overcome, which is, hey, humans are messy. And sometimes when humans are solving a problem, it's messy. And if you can just give a portion of your agenda over to the confusion and mess and trust in the process, which is very difficult, but you don't have to take over your entire... We're not suggesting that you remove all of your demand gen and thought leadership content and turn it into peer-to-peer. That's not what we're trying to do. We're saying that you can do this entire thing with the help of your community and bring them in to feel like they're part of something. For example, we are doing a... There's a global roadshow coming up for a company and they're going to four different cities across the world. And they're like... They came to us and said, it's the standard thing. It's keynote, breakout, expo. And all that we've gotten from our previous survey results are that the people want to talk to each other, but we don't know how to do it. And so our solution to inject this spontaneous think tanking community is we're there for the welcome. We call it the welcome attack. So during the time that they're registering, we're the event wingman. We're there like introducing people to each other, making sure they know where to go. It's that first welcoming moment where it's not just walk up to a desk, get your badge, look for a place to go, stand in the corner and get on your phone to see if anyone else is around. So no, it's much more of a get them in there. And then when they first come in in the morning, we have all the sticky notes and Sharpies. And before they sit down, we're asking them, what are the challenges you're trying to solve? And we're filling the wall with all of those challenges as they come in. Now they can do their normal keynote stuff, get your executive up on stage, do the conversations. We ask them to go take a look at all those sticky notes and 
if you have solved a problem, like put just a little chat mark by it, or if it's a problem you're having, make a little note. And so while they're having their normal content throughout the morning, we're then taking a look at the challenges they're trying to solve, who solved those problems, and assigning company subject matter experts to them. So after lunch, we're creating peer-to-peer sessions with subject matter experts being the facilitators on it. So now you get the company's ability to get in there and actually run a conversation. It's all about the problems that people are trying to solve. They're with a small group of their peers and you got all of the goodness of your thought leadership, your demand in conversations, your peer-to-peer community building. And now at the end of the day, the people actually got what they came for and your company got what it came for. So it's an easy way to structure it without disrupting what you're trying to accomplish and truly still get ROI. So it's more about sort of baby steps and growing that aspect of the event rather than, as you said, you know, I think there might be some fear in the industry and in the stakeholders that, oh, especially after the last couple of years of like, we had to throw out our live event and create a television show. And now are we trying to ask people to throw out the television show and build like a community think tank rather than our conference? And so I totally understand that. And so let's talk about how we integrate might be called traditional content into that event design to encourage those connections among the attendees? Like what strategies or methodologies have proven really effective to intertwining the content delivery and the community building? I think giving people a sense that a sense of place, not that they're walking into a general session room and they're in a dark room and now they're just going to do email while somebody on stage speaks. But to your point about we're creating a television show, if that environment for the people that are in person feels like you're part of a live studio audience, you're less likely to walk in and start looking on your phone and you're more likely to be in and feel like you're in a TV studio and you're there to be an active audience member. You have your applause sign and, you know, people feel like they're part. There's those little things from a production value change the audience experience. And of course, now you're creating content that you're recording or live streaming that feels like it was optimized for a digital audience and not just some dude on stage with a PowerPoint. You know, it actually brings people together in a very different way without it having to be peer-to-peer conversation. It's the same content. You're just delivering it a little bit differently. It makes the people feel like they got access to something really super cool. So then further on to that, there's a note that you gave in prep for this episode about the question is, is the keynote the villain? was one of the questions. And so, you know, keynotes have traditionally been that pivotal part of many events. Given this approach towards event community building, how do you envision the evolution of keynotes to not be the villain and fostering that community and engagement among the attendees? I think every keynoter's biggest fear is the sphere in Las Vegas. Does everything have to be a fully immersive show now? Is that the only way that we're going to get people's attention is to like throw butterflies at them for seven hours, right? Like, (laughs) how are we going to do this? But I also don't think that that's necessarily wrong, that we're all evolving to like, are you not entertained? You must entertain me. If I'm going to be there and sit in a room and it's content that I could get from watching YouTube at home, give me something more. You know, you look at Jesse Cole with the Savannah Bananas and what they've done with baseball, saying that baseball has been incredibly boring and has been losing its audience. And so they changed the game. Literally, they created Banana Ball. They turned it into a let us entertain you every moment of the day type of experience. And now they're sold out in stadiums across the U.S. So I do think that the keynotes has become the villain when it is a person on stage 
telling a very monotone story. I think that we're going to have to train our speakers and our keynoters to embrace more. But I think that the evolution of storytelling is going to bring us back because we all still have that sit around the campfire, tell a good joke, tell a good story kind of moment. And if your keynoter can do that and can draw you in, like I remember Nando, gosh, I can't remember his last name, but it was from the movie and the book Alive, that one of the soccer teams that crashed in the Andes and they ended up like having each other. <laughs> First of all, there's a riveting story to be told the campers. <laughs> and he was not the most amazing storyteller necessarily, but the story itself and what they overcame, like he had a few pictures, but mostly it was just him on stage telling a story was riveting. So you can still get away with that stuff. You just have to plan it. How does it go with your content? How does it connect with what you're trying to do? How will it inspire or motivate your audience to do something? It's still possible. But it's got to be a little bit more entertaining than what we've allowed to happen in the past. I'm sort of keying in on two things, that it's the speaker training and more about the speaker training in storytelling. That, you know, if I were to sort of jump the gun a little bit and sort of think through how we would personify this, then it's really about that keynote needs to be part of that story of the community building. And I think as you said, the parade of presidents or whatever it might be, need to be sort of guided out of the, here's your numbers and here's your information and here's what you're relaying. And like, do you think that they need to be specifically trained into what part of the story that they are telling and when they're telling it? Yeah, well, I think that the hardest part is when you have an executive who believes they should be on stage. And they are unwilling to go be trained because they made it to their rank by making it to their rank. And therefore, they're fine. That's when you run into the biggest challenges. And so I think that if you can work with those executives to just change how they're delivering their message, can it be an interview? Can it be a fireside chat? Can it be something, you know, a little bit more engaging than just giving them the clicker and having them talk through things? But at the same time, knowing your audience and knowing why you're there. If it's an internal sales meeting and the executive needs to share content and it's more like a training, it really doesn't have to be riveting. The content just needs to be able to be delivered in a way that the sales team is going to be motivated by it. You know, So again, is the keynote the villain? I think that the formats we're choosing and the delivery methods we're choosing have become the villain because we've moved into this, oh my gosh, we had no events for three years to I have 72 events in the next 45 days and I just need to get through the checklist. Did did you turn in your slides? No. Well, bring your slides and plug it in when you get there. And so it's turned into this fast pace where we're not stopping to think about it anymore. And we just need to hit pause, I think, for 2024 and go back to the, why are we doing it? Is this the best method of delivery? And how can we do it in the most effective manner? Yeah, absolutely. Talking about the audience and the attendees for a second, like how have these innovations been received by attendees and stakeholders and what impact have they had on the data and the feedback you're getting from events? You know, I think it's funny. Some people have actually gone too far to the community building side and everything is a nonstop adventure and it's conversation and all the things and people are kind of going back going, you know, sometimes I go to events so that I can sit in the back of the room and do emails. <laughs> This always on world, I can't take vacation to go to an event. When I go to an event, people don't respect my three days away anymore because I'm on Slack. I'm on, you know, on everything all the time. And so I have to stop and answer things. And so I think the responses are understanding, again, your audience and what they need from you. You know, if you are in the event industry and you're on the brand side and you're going to event industry events, it's easier to say, 
I'm going to be fully immersed for three days. But if you're a salesperson at those events, the stuff's coming in from outside events didn't stop. And so those folks need to step away to the detriment of the event, right? Because now they're missing out on some great content if there was content planned for them, which is actually kind of rare. But so planning for the spaces and planning for the opportunities for people to be able to go get work done and still feel like they're a part of something. I think that's the feedback we're seeing the most, which is like, don't go too far one way or the other. Make sure that it's a balanced experience. People have time. Don't make a party go until 2 a.m. and then have an 8 a.m. start. So give people time to refresh, check their emails, do the stuff they couldn't do last night, and then come into the 10 o'clock start, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. There are two thoughts that occur to me while you're in that answer that I've run a lot of internal sales meetings for my teams and watched in horror as, you know, I'm trying to give them valuable training on how we can achieve our goals. And half of them are at the back of the room on a cell phone. Because you're right, it just never stops. They still have to talk to their customers. So when it comes to evaluating the success of community-centric events, like what metrics or indicators are you prioritizing? It's the connections and the follow-up and the willingness of the people you've met to pick up the phone when you call them. Because it's very different, you know, to call somebody after a webinar and it feels still like a cold call. I saw that you joined our webinar and you answered three poll questions, right? Like versus, oh my gosh, you were having so much fun at that party. I did not want to interrupt you, but I could tell that you love that moment when the whole group got Rickrolled. Rick Astley, you, but I do want to talk, you know, like it, there are these things that the shared experiences that you can create that open that door. And so I think it's not conversion, but it's almost response rate that you get after having a shared experience is a really extremely valuable metric, especially when you're putting salespeople together with people that are prospects. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a challenge that I think no matter what we're doing in this industry, that we are always challenged with proving the value. And so that's why I asked that question of those specific metrics, because eventually to help with what we were talking about earlier in, you know, convincing the C-suite and the stakeholders is that bit of data. And it's interesting, the response rate, because I think that that is a really key metric that if this is a marketing effort or a sales effort or has a business objective, it will always live and die on moving some kind of needle. And that response metric is, I think, hugely valuable because, you know, before we did this, like nobody would pick up the phone when we did a follow-up call, but now 50 people did. And so they're truth, right? I think that's amazing. And that's why in, in 2021, we did this research study when I was at HOT. We called it return on emotion. And it was like, how do you define what needs to happen at the event in order to create connection amongst the participants? And between, we, we studied three cohorts. It was participant to sponsor, participant to participant, and participant to event host. And all of them, it came out, it was the same five emotions. So if you can use this blueprint to creating these five emotions in your events, then you created an environment where people connected. And those were hopeful. Did your participants feel like they would have a better tomorrow after being here today, either through the people they met or through the content that you shared? Did they feel like they had an active part in the experience? Like not just did they get up and do the 5K in the morning, but more in the content, you know, did were they able to contribute to what the content was going to be? Were they able to contribute to the conversations and they feel like they had a purpose when they were there? So that's active. Adventure, which is the one that most people miss. What did you do to get people out of their comfort zone? Whether it was an excursion or whether it was giving them the opportunity to present spontaneously when they didn't know they were going to get to. 
but something that kind of gets them just like, oh, I'm ready to try that. And we also found that watching someone else have an adventure also sparked that thing. Like if it was somebody doing something crazy that got chosen from the audience to do it, that that was adventurous enough for a lot of people. The next one is accepted, which is really you have to start and experience and end with knowing that these people feel like they're in the right place. Like they are going to feel like they're with the right people and they just feel like part of the tribe. And then the final one is motivated. When they leave, do they feel like they know what to do next? So they can either put the content into action or they know who to reach out to or they know what to do. And if you can do those five, we call it ham, because emotions bring home the bacon. So hopeful, active, generous, accepted, and motivated. Then you've designed an environment for connection. And that, we can say ROE drives ROI, because that that emotion, the return on emotion, drives the connection that lets people answer your phone call. I love the return on emotion concept. As you know, we've worked with the hot companies for a few years, and we just helped them with something in Dreamforce. And it was... I think one of the best innovations in creating value for events. So kudos to you for that. Really put African framework around the stuff that was traditionally thought of as fluff. You know, it's like, oh, why are we going to do a concert at this event? Oh, why did you bring in that experiential thing so they could take pictures? And and now you can go, well, here's why, because this was missing. The people were not getting the opportunity to do these parts and pieces. And now we have a reason to put them on a boat and take them somewhere where you're like, look, this is the shared experience that we have metrics to prove that that drives the connection. You know? Yeah, beautiful. So the ROI of community building initiatives can often encompass what I think are probably more long-term benefits than immediate ROI. They are very much (laughs) (laughs) long-term. So how do you articulate that to stakeholders, especially in a landscape where immediate results are often sought? It's not demand gen, it's communities. If you want demand gen, then you're going to put salespeople on it and you're going to either push or pull content and you're going to push or pull the people. If it's community, then you're not there to sell something. You're there to help the people meet the other people that can solve their problems. And you can, of course, seed that with happy customers. And you can seed that with subject matter experts that you have to be in it to truly build relationships. And within that community, whether it's an email list or an advisory council or whatever you're doing to bring people together, now you can start putting the metrics around it and running campaigns within the community. Because if you run a broad social media campaign externally versus running it inside the community, you will see that people in your community are more likely to purchase faster and more than the just random people. So there's a very clear monetization strategy within it, but you can't build a community just to sell them crap or else the people will be like, I'm in it. Unless it's a loyalty program, in which case people have opted into it. Like, yes, okay, I'm part of their Sephora beauty insiders because they're going to send me discounts. They're going to send me all the stuff that I need so that I can access how to put on whatever. So that's a very different approach, but it's still a community. So going back to the, why are you creating an event? It's the same thing. Why are you creating a community? Is it a product-led community where people want product support? Is it, you know, solution community where people just want to meet peer-to-peer without someone selling them something? So understand that and then build around it. Yeah, so I just want to sort of wrap up into thinking about the longer-term strategy of community building. And you sort of touched it in this last answer. I think event professionals may be sort of feeling overwhelmed about building a community and how long that might need to invest time and effort in. And so just generally speaking, would you say that it's, I mean, instinctually, I sit here and say, oh, well, that's like a six-month campaign where we're building that community into an event or a six-month campaign where we're starting it at an event or a year-long campaign. So 
what guidance would you give on how to start building that community? Like we touched on the why, like, as you said, why are we building this community? Is it to create loyalists? Is it to create brand awareness, whatever it might be? And how do we stay genuine? And, you know, how early do we have to start? And moreover, how do that genuineness, right? What occurred to me was our work in esports many years ago, where if you weren't already in esports, like there was a disingenuous feeling from the audience that, you know, a lot of non-endemic brands had an extreme difficulty trying to get into this new emerging market, because as soon as they dipped their toe, the entire community would rebel against them and say, you're not here, you were never here before. So can we talk about some strategy or thoughts on how you start to build that community and how early you need to start? Yeah, if you don't have the resources or the personnel to invest for at least a year, then you shouldn't create your own community. You should join communities that already exist and you should get to know the people and you should provide value there. It's going to take at least a year to get it going. And you can start really, really big with a big giant event, or you can start really, really small with what we call a sounding board, five to six people, the founders, cousins, and brothers and sisters, like whatever. But, you know, starting with that group that has the shared purpose of what you're trying to accomplish. And it's really identifying what you're trying to do. Are you trying to do kind of a community-led growth initiative where you want to start small and you want them to share and them to share and then to share and that's how you're going to grow your business? Or do you have a bunch of people that are already passionate about a, a challenge or a product or something that you're bringing together to go do something with it? So you have to identify that. And then determining, so we kind of view community as five I don't call it a funnel or pillars because it depends on how you want to use it. But the, the first one, we call it the show. What is your top of funnel? Get people to kind of share community content. It could be a podcast. It could be a YouTube show. It could be your TikTok channel. But how are you interviewing people or bringing in that content for the folks that aren't in your community, but just to access? So that's the top one. The next one we call the site. And it could be a Slack channel, a Facebook group, a LinkedIn. But where are the people going to meet the other people that's not your company website? Or it could be if you have a member site, but it's the people just wanting to talk to each other about stuff. The next one is the series of gatherings. So this is where your conferences, your events, your field events, this is where that comes in. Where do the people get to meet the people? They could be virtual, they could be in person, they could be hybrid, but the people want to get together. The next one we call the sounding board, and that's that small group. You can start with the sounding board of just five to seven people. Or you can pull the sounding board out of the community that you have and get their feedback, share your roadmap, understand what the topics are, use them to pull your insights from. And then finally, the shareable moment. So what in all of those other four things was shareable? Was content that your community members can share or that you can share on behalf of them? Or it could be swag. Like how do people feel like they belong to your community? What's the emblem they're wearing that shows that they're in it? So you take those five things, you don't have to do all five, but it's, again, a little bit of a framework to go, okay, I can do this top of funnel one, and I can do this bottom of the funnel one, and I can get a sounding board together. Take a year and start putting those things in place. And now you'll see it turns into what they call a flywheel, right? It just grows on itself. But you have to be consistent. You have to pick how you're going to be as a community, and you have to have someone leading it. It cannot just be a faceless brand. You have to have a community leader, whether they work for your company or for like an association. It's your board of directors that may be your leaders or volunteer group of people in like cosplay groups. It's just people that really love to dress up and they're going to become the leaders and they're going to do it themselves, right? So just depending on how you want that leadership to be, you still have to have people. Yeah, I always look at the video game industry, which, you know, I'm a huge nerd, as you can tell by my background. 
And so one of the key elements of every video game publisher out there or any video gaming company is that community management department. Like they are key to developing those economic goals for those companies. And I think what's really interesting about the industry right now, the events industry, I should say, is that we are starting to learn from those other industries. And I think you're hitting the nail on the head, as it were, for that. And I always love the gaming community and how it feels. I met my husband at a land party, actually. But we used to, I worked for Dell and I had the Alienware brand under me and we would do events at QuakeCon and just, you know, watching these people come in for 72 hours of gaming together and fighting, but having the best time of their lives and then getting together and going out afterwards and drinking all the, it wasn't Red Bull at the time, it was whatever crazy drinks they had way back then. (laughs) But this watching Magellan, now you see that same thing happening on Twitch. And the creators who are growing such an amazing following on Twitch and becoming esports superstars. And, you know, you can definitely take lessons learned from how they are growing without having to be in person and then injecting those in-person moments together that grows it even more with a kind of a digital scale. And I think that we can do that more in BB and we're not tapping into that quite yet. Yeah, absolutely. So just to wrap up, what do you see as the sort of future evolution of this in the events industry? And what's exciting you about that for future events? Yeah, I think the current state is that community, the word, has become as confusing as experiential, the word. No one knows what it means. No one can define it. It means something different for different people. And there's no budget that you can put to it because no one knows what to do. So I think the future is that it will become more kind of categorically defined in what community is. So with experiential, there's immersive experiential, there's an experiential activation, there's an experiential event, you know, it's, you start to see a little bit more clarity around it. And I think that community's got to go that way or else it's just going to completely disappear. Everybody's using it just like they use the word AI. Oh, it's injected with community. It's injected with AI. And I think that community and AI are not at odds. But they are at the moment, people, you're seeing the concern of human versus fake human. And so putting those things together, that's my crystal ball, is how can we leverage AI to create more community authentically? And how can we use in-person events more to build community? Because those are the only things trustworthy with our eyes and ears. We know those people aren't fake. They're there in front of us. Whether or not we're living in a simulation, that's a whole nother thing, right? (laughs) But I think that that's the future is seeing a lot more community and AI working together to help people connect more authentically to solve the loneliness epidemic. We're getting too far apart and we have to bring ourselves back together. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of live events myself, so I'm a little bit biased on that. But I do agree with you that loneliness epidemic, that after two years of being isolated from each other, it's more important than ever that we create those genuine connections. And again, 50-50 on whether or not we are in a gigantic simulation. So let's see where that lands. So lastly, I always like to give our listeners a practical to-do at the end of these episodes. So what do you think senior event professionals can do right now to ensure that they are making progress into building community for their events? I think you should join communities, join the free ones, join the cheap ones, join one expensive one and see how people are doing it. I don't think that you can just go off and say, oh, someone's told me to create community, therefore I will do this. I think you should be a part of things and you should try them out. Like event professionals, you have to go to other people's events to come back with ideas and inspiration. I think you should do that with community. And the Ichi community, wearechi.com is free to join. 
Uh, we do have a paid version, but just get in there, be a part of it, see the conversations that are happening and the types of events we're putting together and get in there. There's a ton of them. There's Will Curran has the event props community. There's the Fuse community. There's eating at a meeting with Tracy Stucker out there. It's like, there's so many to get out there and join. And I think that that's going to spark the connection that your event needs and help you figure out how you can create the groundwork to really succeed in your own community. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a member of a couple of those communities already, but you mentioned like three others that I am now just going to wait for the AI to give me the transcript of this and then I'm going to join. So that'll be fantastic. So Liz, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? I am on LinkedIn all day, every day, Liz Lathan. You can also check out our website, thecommunityfactory.com. And those are probably the two best places to find me. Excellent. Thank you very much, Liz. It was an amazing pleasure to speak with you. We've spoken a couple of times in the past, but I'm so happy that you were able to join us. So thank you. Thanks for the invite. Production Value Matters, the business event podcast is brought to you by Burn Production Services. To find out more about Burn Production Services and how putting on events can drive value for your business, visit burnproductionservices.com. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And on behalf of the team here at Production Value Matters, thank you so much for listening.